Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oz Investing Podcast. My name is Sam and with me as always is my buddy Jude. How are you, Jude? Doing good, Sam. How are you? Very well, mate. It's definitely been a while since our last podcast, but it's really good back to it's really good to get back into recording. <laughs> it's a very different world right now. Lettuce is over six dollars, and um, we can't afford fuel. But uh, yeah, we all we all get by. But uh, it is definitely a, a different world to where. Yeah, we, we got to get the bike sold more often, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. So for today, we're going to be talking about buying your principal place of residence. Yep. So I guess this is something that you and I have been very fortunate enough to do over the last year or so. So I think today what we would like to do is just share our experiences with all of our listeners. That's absolutely right, Sam. It's good to document and share that knowledge back uh, to the community based on the learnings we've gone through this entire process. You know, after all, buying your home is one of the most important decisions of your life. So, you know, due diligence is a must as, you know, paying off that mortgage is a lifelong commitment and you need to be absolutely sure that you have done the adequate amount of research to really back that decision. So that being said, Sam, why don't you just kick us off with, you know, a couple of steps, which I think our listeners can really benefit from. Absolutely. All right. So I think the first one is finding a really good broker and finding a really good conveyancer. So even before you consider other things like what suburb and what kind of house, I really think the very first step is finding a good broker and finding a good conveyancer. Reason being is you need to think of this like a team sport. You need a good set of people to help you on this very, very important journey that you're about to undertake. Yep. So I think you should definitely use your network of friends and use your network of colleagues and ask around to see who they have used in the past and find some recommendations. That's definitely how I went about it. And the broker that I ended up using for the purchase of my own principal place of residence came actually from a friend of mine. And the conveyancer actually came from a recommendation that you, Jude, provided over to me. It's the same conveyancer that you used. So I think just making sure you get these two people correct is going to save you a lot of hassle later down the track. And you must make sure that these are people that you're comfortable working with. These are going to be people that you're going to have a lot of conversations with. You want to also just have a bit of understanding of where their office is or where their location is, because you might want to just visit them in person and have some whiteboarding sessions and some deeper conversations with them later on. Yep. So I think it's really, really important to understand their physical location as well. And you have to ensure that you just get along with these people, that they understand your situation, you understand how they work and how they provide help to their clients. It's it's a really critical part to get right. Uh, spot on, Sam. I think because, uh, as you mentioned, having that network around to really get those different options available is spot on. And as you also pointed out, you know, it's going to be, you know, a long process in a way. Mm. So you need to be uh, around people that you're comfortable working with. So... 
completely agree with all the points that you raised with regards to you know building a solid team around you in this entire process yeah yeah how did you find your particular broker if you don't mind me asking jude no uh, and that's uh, that's a good one uh, sam because uh, you know even uh, for me the broker was through a, a group of friends of ours who had gone through mm. that same broker mm. and you know like throughout the process you know constantly uh, the broker was in touch giving options you know explore, uh, explaining the different you know nuances through this entire process mm-hmm. and cordial at all points of time you know you, they were approachable they were obviously busy they've got other clients as well but mm. you know still managing to take time off uh, having a conversation because you know obviously it's a nerve-wracking process in a way right it's your mm. first home purchase at mm. least for us it was our first home purchase so just to understand that process have someone to guide us through you know our broker was really helpful throughout that particular process great awesome and obviously if you don't have luck with your network of friends and colleagues you can obviously also just do google searches and you know go on the internet to find a good broker and conveyancer but i do recommend just reaching out to your own network first yep absolutely and i think as you also pointed out see um, you know sometimes a group of network of friends may not have that contact and you know mm. google's your best friend there but mm. you know you just got to think of it from this perspective like you would have anyway done some amount of research or uh, you know uh, found out certain reviews when you're going and buying any electronic gadget right so this is a home so you would definitely go in out there uh, you know check out for any of these brokers conveyances have a look at uh, the reviews against their uh, their services so that it can make uh, help you with making those informed decisions as to you know hey can i go ahead and engage with them yeah definitely definitely all right so i guess the next critical part to consider is understanding your borrowing power yep so this is i guess the first part where leveraging your broker is going to be extremely helpful so you need to have a conversation with your broker to try and understand okay how much exactly can i borrow from a bank or another provider you need to have all your documentations and information ready so for people that doing a salary job they would have to provide their pay slips for people that own a small business they need to provide evidence of their income as well you need to provide those documents and and that information over to your broker so that they can work out then you know roughly how much you can borrow so this is not going to be definitive right it also kind of depends which provider the broker recommends right they can probably workshop a few different scenarios and a few different banks and providers but they need to have an understanding of your financial position so that they can actually work out how much you can borrow and you yeah. need that information as well so that you have that understanding of okay what price bracket then should I be looking for when I'm considering my purchase now yep yep no that's correct that's correct and and i think another thing is once that gives you an idea right so i mean i think uh, it was in your case as well and similar to mine is then we got to sit down and have a chat with the family like uh, with your partner mm. or your you know your wife and try to say that hey uh, you know hey this is what's really come back and let's be realistic about those situations right when we're going to really look out for property yeah so uh, from your experience as well sam like you you definitely had that conversation with the family as well right absolutely yep 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 for sure so definitely had a good conversation to say hey look if we borrow this amount from the bank you know we can expect our repayments to be whatever amount per month right you need to have yeah. that understanding okay it's going to be 
a certain percentage of our wages then can mm-hmm. we afford it do we have a buffer can we still save every single month can we still meet our long-term financial goals so you definitely need to have those conversations with your with your spouse um, and with any other people that are going to be involved with the purchase of your home yep and then another part to this is also just understanding what grants and concessions might be available for your particular situation. Yep. So I guess on a high level, there are many grants and schemes available in Australia. Now they differ a lot from state to state and they also change a lot from time to time. So in trying to make this podcast a little bit more evergreen and not just for July, 2022, we're just gonna talk <laughs> about these things on a high level. Yep. But typically for first homeowners, there are grants available. Now, you have to keep in mind that it has to be for yourself and your spouse that are first homeowner grants typically in order to qualify for these schemes. So if one of you have purchased a home before in the past, most of the time you're not going to qualify. If you're in doubt, go back and ask your broker and and um just pose this question back to them. They'll they'll be the best people to rely on when talking about grants and schemes. Another one is stamp duty concession. So depending on your circumstances and which state you're in, you may be entitled to some stamp duty concessions. Again, speak to your broker about this. There's definitely caps and limits to how these apply and they vary from state to state. So definitely talk to your broker again about what concessions can be available. Low deposit schemes. So in some circumstances, you can be eligible for just a 2% deposit or 5% deposit. But again, there's a lot of strict criteria uh, that's involved. And also, there may only be a certain number of allocated government seats or or positions for people to get into these schemes right yep yep. so it it kind of depends on application and first in first serve so really you have to again rely on your broker to guide you through this and make sure that your particular circumstances allow for eligibility into these schemes no that's that's absolutely um correct sam because i i remember and these are uh you know obviously depends on which situation and what what government policies also you know are get passed on I, I remember the time when when we were looking out for a place at that point of time there were stamp duty concessions here in victoria mm. and uh, i think it was only to a particular period of time in 2021 i think where it was uh, valid beyond which it went back to its previous bans yep so yeah as you rightly said you know you've always got to be on the lookout for what's happening at that current point of time because things can constantly change but then in that case you've also got that support team to really help you out and tell you of those different um, schemes and concessions that are out there yeah correct correct so definitely ask your broker your conveyancer might be able to help you out with some of these aspects as well so definitely reach out to your conveyancer too if you're in doubt Mm -hmm. i think in the first instance maybe just do a little bit of a google and you know see what you might be eligible for but when it goes to applying and and finding further clarification refer back to your broker and conveyancer also, there was one more scheme I've left out with the 2022 change of government with the Labour government now 
running the country, they have introduced a co-ownership scheme, being mm-hmm. able to contribute up to 40% of the ownership of a particular property. Yep. Again, I think people need to kind of read through the fine print and also speak with their broker and conveyancer, find out all the nuances, find out also what will happen later down the track if you do decide to sell the property. All these things are extremely important to consider if you want to take up these particular offerings. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So just constantly be on the lookout. And I think that's the key takeaway from that from that particular point which you raised. Yeah. Yeah, uh, when yeah. you're getting into the market. Perfect. Now, another thing, just like a good segue from that point is also trying to understand what are the costs involved in a home ownership. So usually what happens is, you know, we tend to look at the home ownership costs just from a tip of an iceberg kind of a view. But there is definitely more to see from uh, there's more than what you can really see at that top of the part of the iceberg. Because, you know, some of the key costs that are involved is like one is the deposit in itself. And you touched upon it just uh, just a while back. You know, a good practice to have in terms of a deposit is just have 20% ready. You know, in order to avoid that uh, lender's mortgage in- mortgage insurance. So, what exactly is an LMI or the lender's mortgage insurance? Is if you're borrowing more than 80% of the purchase price, then you have to pay that LMI to protect the lender if you fail to make your repayments. So these low hmm. deposit uh, deposit loans exist. So like how you mentioned the two and five percent, but they also come along with certain conditions that have a higher LMI cost associated with them. All right. But you've also got to have, uh, you know, that being said, you also got to have that look out for some of these options available or schemes available from the banks as well. Uh, like, you know, there was this case when we were looking out for a loan that the home deposit needn't be at 20 percent. But it, if you had 15% of the deposit, they had the LMI waived off, right? Mm, mm. But all of those offers and those conditions are subject to what's going on going on in the the housing market, so to speak. So yep. if it's they want a lot of people coming in taking loans, you'll you'll get more of those schemes. When uh, you know, obviously the the market's not too hot, or it's when sorry, it's really too hot. They want you know to just back off and be more uh, judicious in terms of uh, giving out loans. Then you may not have that many amount of schemes out there. Yeah. Mm. So it's all subject to that housing market conditions when you're actually looking out for a property. So that was in terms of the deposit. Just just from your from your experience, Sam, like was that similar for your case? Like in how in my in my scenario there was a lot of options available. How was it when it came to you know the deposit scenario from your lender? Yeah, so I think one thing that was, I guess, I don't know if it's unique for our situation, but like my partner and I, we really wanted to not have a very large mortgage. We wanted mm-hmm. to try and have a the smallest mortgage that we can essentially. So we were comfortable in putting down that 20% deposit. Yep. Because yeah, essentially overall, we our aim was to have a lower overall uh, mortgage that that we had to pay off so i guess our situation was a little bit different perhaps than than your situation Mm -hmm. but i think it's very important to again just have that conversation with your partner and spouse and just work out what are the priorities i know a lot of people 
perhaps want to save up more of a cash buffer just for emergencies or they want to use and have some cash available so that they can do some renovations and some improvements to the home after or Mm -hmm. they want to save up for a car or or a holiday or whatever whatever it might be right yeah you need to factor all these things and and take them all into account when you're looking to see how much you're willing to put that as a deposit for your home so yeah it's going to be different for for everyone's circumstances yep. but yeah the general rule of thumb is yeah if you're able to put down a 20 percent deposit you're going to avoid that lender's mortgage insurance but yeah as you pointed out do have a look out for any other schemes that are available if you want to try and put down a smaller deposit if that helps for your own circumstances no, absolutely. That's some uh, good inputs there, Sam. And like just continuing on with those those costs uh, as part of the home ownership. Another thing which is important is about stamp duty there. You know, the amount of stamp duty you pay depends on the state that you live in. And it's it's usually applied on that purchase value of that property. There are other costs which are also involved. Uh, you spoke about having a support team. So, you know, obviously a conveyancer, the, the legal fees come, come associated with it. Uh, so you usually tend to keep close to th- approximately thousand to three thousand uh, dollars as a range for those legal services. Then there are other bank costs that could be associated. You know they could have fees for those valuations, applications, settlements, ongoing bank fees as well. Like you know for your mod for your loan that you've taken up with the bank. So you've got to check all of those costs that have been associated with it. Then we also have, I think, the, you know, a lot of people tend to oversee this, but, you know, I think building and pest inspections are crucial as part of, uh, you know, the whole uh, home purchasing journey, because you just have to make sure that, you know, your hard-earned money is invested in the right home. And I mean, I, I strongly, at least I did it for every house, which I was, you know, sure enough to put in an offer just to make sure that the structure was in place. So I, I went in for a building and pest inspection and you roughly put about 400 to $500 aside for you know um, an inspection by a certified conveyor, a certified uh, building surveyor. Yeah. And yep. top of that, we also got to keep in mind the ongoing costs. You know, those what we spoke about right now are upfront costs, you know, before you really start living into the home. So there are other f- costs that you need to keep in mind, you know, your mortgage repayments, your utility bills, the moving costs that get associated with moving to your place, council rates, strata fees, if they are applicable, your home and contents insurance, you know, your mortgage protection insurance, if you take one. And, you know, not to mention those those ongoing costs when it comes to renovations and, you know, maintenances of your home. So there are a lot of cost factors which you need to factor in when you are going on this journey to purchase your place. Are there anything else you think that we need to keep in mind when it comes to cost? Or we think we've covered most of the points right there. I think you've covered them, covered most of the points there quite well, Jude. I think I want to just touch on the building and pests a little bit. So I can't stress enough how important it is because you are buying a property that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's important that uh, you do get a professional to go over the property. Mm -hmm. And I can say from my own personal experience, I actually purchased a number of building and pest inspections, probably four or five. I've lost count now. (laughs) Now, some people might say that I flushed a whole bunch of money down the drain, but I don't quite see it that way because... I think having that understanding of the overall condition of the property, understanding, okay, all right, let's say, for example, 
the roof is not in good condition. There's some cracked tiles and things. Or understanding that, you know, there's not good drainage around the house. Or yep. understanding, let's say in the worst case scenario, okay, you've got a foundation issue with the property. These are all extremely important things to consider because if it's a major defect, then I think, you know, you should honestly have a hard conversation with your partner and also a hard conversation with um, whoever did the inspection to say, okay, is this something I should actually pull out of now? Is this worth? Is this not worth the heartache uh, later down the track if I do go through the purchase and all of a sudden I need to spend tens of thousands of dollars um, trying to rectify a foundation issue? You yep. need to have that solid understanding before you progress, right? So I think it's something that you shouldn't overlook and it's definitely worth the money if you're really considering that this is going to be your home for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yep. Don't skip out on the cost for, for doing the building and pass. So that's my recommendation. Definitely go for it and definitely have a conversation with the inspector afterwards because the report's only going to provide so much. You need to have the context around it as well. So definitely have that phone call with the inspector afterwards. No, that's that's really some sound advice there. Sam, because and you're right, like, you know, just like in your case, even I'd done a couple of inspections <laughs> before really <laughs> finalizing on the property right here. Mm. So, and the feedback which I'd gotten there as well was like, you know, why are you spending in so much amount of money at these inspections? But I thought, you know, what you're, as you rightly pointed out, it's your, eventually you've got to look at it from a long-term perspective. You don't want to buy a property which has got a lot of, uh, you know, underlying defects associated with it because mm. in the long run, you'll spend more on the maintenance rather than that, you know, inspection which you take upfront. Yep. So Correct. that's really some, you know, some good tips out there for, you know, the, the listeners. Yep. Yep. So moving on now to our next part of the process, this is finding the best loan option. So once you've had that really good conversation with your broker and they understand your financial situation, what's going to happen next is they'll recommend a financial product for you or a loan product. And when you look at that loan, you need to obviously understand the ins and outs of that particular home loan, right? So you need to understand, okay, what interest rate am I getting? Is this a fixed interest rate? Is this a variable interest rate? Yep. People also have the option of splitting their loan and have yep. one portion fixed and one portion variable. So that is another consideration. You also need to understand, obviously, the term of the loan. Is it a 25-year loan, a 30-year loan, 35-year loan? Yep. What other benefits are available? Do I have an offset account associated with this loan? Do I have a redraw loan available? What happens when I make some additional payments? How often is the interest reassessed? All these things are extremely important when you are recommended a product back from your broker. So... You need to understand if this fits your situation in the best possible way. If not, I think you should ask your broker to provide another option yep. so that you have different selections for your particular circumstances. So just take your time about it and make sure that whatever home loan you're looking to get, it's going to be the right one for your own personal circumstances. Yeah, that sounds good, Sam. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, those those are the things where once again, we can't you know, emphasize on that important point where, you know, you've got to have that right support team along with you because that broker is going to go out there and work for you to get all that information in. 
and give you all the options that are available at hand. So, you know, again, can't stress the importance of having a good support team throughout this entire process. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so then the next part is the home loan pre-approval. So once you have selected that fantastic home loan option that meets all your needs, the next part is to go through a pre-approval. So essentially, you will go through and submit all your financial documents over to your broker. Now, they might ask for a little bit more compared to the initial rough estimation on what you could borrow. They may ask for things like your superannuation statement, credit card reports, other pieces of information before they can actually give you that pre-approval. So just make sure that you have those documents and, and that information available for you. But once you do and you submit that all over to the broker, they should be able to then provide back a pre-approval. You know, I think, Sam, you've covered, you know, majority of what it is. And uh, again, you know, it's when you do submit that, all those documents is required by the broker to submit to the lender. It's essential to know that, you know, you've got good some good savings habits in terms of your expenses and a pattern in which you're doing so, because that will help you secure a better better loan. So it's good to get all of your financial details in place as well as showcase some of those good habits when you when you submit all those those documents to your lender. Yeah. Yeah, correct. And one more point is that if you do have some bad debt like credit cards and afterpay debt and all of that, it's probably best to try and get rid of that as much as possible. So credit cards definitely eat into your lending ability. So do afterpay and any other kind of split payment system they will also have an effect on on your ability to borrow so try to eliminate those things as much as possible and then once you get to this pre-approval stage you should hopefully fingers crossed get a positive answer back yep correct sounds good sam all right so the next part of the journey is what we what we call a shopping list or or a checklist of criteria on finding your principal place of residence. So I guess this is a list of requirements or must-haves when it comes to what you're looking for in your property. So talking high level, some of the things you might want to put down is one, your location. So how close do you want to be to work, uh, to schools, to family, to friends? trying to have all those things in short proximity is probably going to be a key priority for a lot of people. And obviously they say in property, location, location, location. (laughs) It's definitely one of the, the primary aspects that you need to consider. Another important point is just access to public transport, access to services like healthcare and shopping, your everyday essentials. It's important to just understand, okay, how far do I need to go if I need to just buy some everyday groceries or go see the GP? Where is the nearest one for me? Yep. Also, just understanding the existing infrastructure and also the plans from the council to further develop the area. Are they going to put a new shopping centre or a new Westfields in the next three to five years? Yep. Their existing shopping centres already close by. Yep. Just having an understanding of those things is, is really important. Also, I guess the character or the vibe of the community, 
Yep. I think that's very important. So once you have an idea of where you want to be located, I think it's really important after you go looking around for houses and property, I think you might want to just go out for a walk in the nearby park or the nearby shopping center. Just try and get a feel for the suburb. Go down to a cafe, have a coffee, buy some groceries, buy some snacks. Just have a general wonder. See what it's like and see if it kind of fits in with your lifestyle and what you want to get out of your local community. No, no, spot on. Spot on on that, Sam. And I think, you know what, just just as a tip, you would rather keep your search down to the best two suburbs, like in, in, in when you're narrowing down for your property, because what that does is if you if you have a lot many more suburbs out there, tend to spend a lot of time and then it really uh, adds to those complications or parameters for you to then narrow down on a pace. So it's a good tip would be is that try to identify that suburb as as you mentioned, Sam, and you know, try to understand the whole vibe of that community. Go out there. For us, when like we were looking at property, we narrowed down onto two suburbs. We looked at it from a perspective of how long would it take for us to drive to the city by by road have that public transport accessible nearby in case we need to take the the train mm. as well as we looked at it from another perspective is like we would have you know obviously over the period of our time have maybe our parents over here so mm. when they come to visit us uh, can they move around freely in the in the area without us having to you know take them around by a car or something you know just easily accessible to all the amenities or you know the shopping center for instance for them to just go about and uh, have a walk uh, whether there are parks around trails around so that was another thing that we looked at as well as you know we my wife and I stayed in the in the city in the initial parts so we were looking for a suburb which would be nice and quiet and that's that was another thing which was on our checklist when we were looking out for a particular house in a particular area and to add to that you know there are different resources which are also available which helped us along that journey you know there's real estate which you can really go about domain to have a look about those different properties around and you know some other um, apps or you know websites available like there's microburbs which will tell you some parameters about a suburb there's walk score to tell you how accessible things are mm. so there are a lot of things which can help you with, you know, the research element of it off of particular suburbs. And, you know, those are some which I just mentioned, but it will yep. give you information about, you know, the medium price in that suburb, locality information, as you mentioned, certain amenities within that suburb. So mm. you've got to do that level of, you know, research to really narrow down to a property into a particular suburb. Yeah, absolutely. I know for like my own personal journey, having something north facing was actually quite important for us because mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that the property received a lot of natural sunlight. Now, that's something that might not be everyone's criteria, but I know for our circumstances, it was actually something quite important to us. Also, you know, understanding the type of property that you want as well is, is very important, whether it be a house, unit, studio, townhouse, you know, you need to probably start narrowing down what type of configuration of property you want. Now, this being more for your primary place of residence, yep. it's probably more for your own circumstances in how you live, right? Rather yes. than you know, whether the property's going to go up or down or whatever it might be. It, it's more what's going to fit your lifestyle, your circumstances. Like you mentioned, Jude, you know, every now and then you will have parents and people coming from overseas. So there needs to be enough space in the property for those people to live comfortably while they're staying over. Yep. You might want to factor in other plans later down the future as well. So, yep. you know, if people are planning to have 
family and the, and they want kids um, later down the track, probably want to consider those things as you're going through the journey of buying a property. So very important to consider all those points, but I hope we've given some food for thought for our listeners out there. This concludes part A of episode 14. Stay tuned for part B, where we discuss what to do when attending property inspections, understanding the section 32, and auctions versus private sales.